Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. You better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I am coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the USA. Now, I am sitting at the airport in Chicago. Um, You might actually hear some background noise as they make announcements over the intercom system. You know, um, there are times where I might have to speak a little bit (laughs) low because as I talk about the subject matter for this Back to Jerusalem podcast, um, it is difficult because there might be times where I'm talking about North Koreans actually making bombs. Bombs is not a word that you really want to say loudly and have other people listening to you talking about terrorists, talking about Islam, talking about North Korea, um, Iran. The places where we work are not, (laughs) is not really the subject matter that you really should have for a back to Jerusalem podcast at an airport but that's where we are we're at the airport right now and the reason i'm doing this back to jerusalem podcast because i'm I've, i've been talking all day long with our team inside of china and it is um it, it there there's a crazy uh thing that is coming out right now that sounds like it is fictional like it's coming straight out of a movie uh, the storyline is basically lifted straight from a Tom Cruise film called Minority Report. If you've never watched Minority Report, it's a it's a movie that is basically about Tom Cruise playing a character where he works for law enforcement. And it was the first time, you know how if you if you're using an iPhone or an iPad and even now with most Google phones with the Android system, um, how you are able to expand pictures by taking your index finger and your thumb, putting them on the screen directly and then widening them, them out or maybe even switching from screen to screen by doing a swipe, swipe left, swipe right, you know, all of that. That had never been done before. We have never seen that done before until the, the movie, The Minority Report, came out. That was the very first time that we had seen anything like that. You, you, have, you see Tom Cruise wearing these special gloves. So he put on these special gloves that identified with the computer screen. It was this clear glass computer screen. Um, and, uh, of course, what, the way that we do it now is just our fingers reading directly onto the screen itself. But Tom Cruise, he was um, looking at different files, looking at different reports, and basically what he was able to do, he worked for this crime unit that predicted crimes. And so there were these individuals that were, it's it's a sci-fi movie, obviously, but there's these individuals that were in this pool, and then they would have visions of the future, and these the, the, the visions that they had would indicate future crimes, now, this is going somewhere. Trust me. Just hang in with me for a few minutes. This is not going to be a very long podcast. But basically, um, they were able to take the information from the vision of these these 
individuals, these these women that were in a pool, I think there were three of them, and they would have visions of future crimes. They would get the balls of these crimes, and then they were able to respond to these crimes before they happened or as they were happening. And so um, that whole idea of predicting a crime may not be too far from the future of where China's at right now. Because the police are teaming up with technology companies to develop artificial intelligence, which they say will help them identify and apprehend subjects before a crime is even committed. The Li Meng, the China's vice minister of science and technology, said this. If we use our smart systems and smart facilities well, we can know beforehand who might be a terrorist and who might do something bad. The Guangzhou-based facial recognition company called Cloudwalk, which is also used in the movie. So Tom Hanks gets accused of committing a crime before he even commits the crime. And so he's on the run. And as he's on the run, there are different systems throughout the city that do face recognition, eye recognition. And they are able to identify where he is at as he's on the run. So... Guangzhou-based facial recognition company called Cloudwalk has created a system that tracks data on people's movements and behaviors to assess their chances of committing a crime. So, for example, someone who buys a knife won't raise suspicion, says the spokesperson Li Feng. Um, But if the same person later buys a hammer and a bag, then this person's suspicion rating will rise, meaning that if the facial recognition company is able to collect data and create a database for everybody in the city, then they are able to monitor because almost everything is going digital. Right now in China, they're pushing very hard to get rid of cash. If they go digital, then they will be able to monitor every single purchase. Now, if they can monitor every single purchase and they have uh, facial recognition, not only are they able to track you. For instance, if you've got a card and you're traveling on a bus, on a train, on a um, subway system, you're using that card. Now, in uh, Hong Kong, we call that card the octopus card. They have the same thing in Singapore. They have the same thing in Japan. They have the same thing in China. It's a card that uses IR and you add money to it becomes your card you can also use your phone so everywhere you go that card can then send information back to the database and say this is where this person's going so let's say john for instance john wakes up in the morning john has to go to work john walks down to the bus stop by his house uses his card gets into his bus Uh, uses his card to swipe on the bus meter while getting onto the bus. Immediately, a um, signal is sent to a database that says John has got on this bus and he's used $1.50 in order to ride the bus. From there, he takes the bus to a subway station. He swipes the card again when he gets on the subway station. He swipes the card again when he gets off the sub, out of the subway station. You, for the subway, you'll use the card going on and off. Now, data is sent to the network telling exactly what your trip has looked like for the morning. From there, maybe you buy a coffee. You use your 
a mobile phone to buy that coffee or maybe use a credit card or you use the same octopus card that you use for your bus. Now, the octopus cards that we have in Hong Kong, for instance, you can use for the bus, you can use for the train, you can use for the subway system. You can also use at McDonald's and 7-Eleven. You can buy a coffee, you can buy a soda, you can buy a sandwich. Um, you can do many different things. You can take photos for um, that your visa if you're, if you're trying to apply for a visa to get into China or or you need a, a picture for a visa to go to America, you can go to a photo booth, use your octopus card, swipe that, and instantly you have a photo that will print out for you. So there's many things that you can actually shop. So as you live your day traveling on the bus, John goes to the subway system. Now his travel, his daily travel, all of that stuff is monitored. So if he, let's say that one day he decides he's not going to take the bus, he's going to ride the bike. Automatically, the database recognizes that there's been a change in the pattern of his behavior for travel every morning. Uh, if he decides to go on a diet, he's been shopping for coffee every single morning. But now uh, he is shopping for juice or water. Maybe he's skipping lunch, so he's not buying lunch. The database will log in that information and see there is a change in his behavior. If he was working for a bank and now he's unemployed, he might not be traveling in the same circuit anymore. He might not have enough money to use to buy sandwiches every afternoon or uh, breakfast every morning. He might have less disposable income. The database will pick up on the algorithm of that event in his life. So let's say that um, as he's traveling, people, the, the database finds something suspicious in his activity or for whatever reason, the authorities just want to monitor him. As they see the signal of him getting on the bus, the bus station would then have cameras that would be activated that would have face recognition for John. And John's face recognition would then show up in the database for those that want to monitor his behavior, his movement, what he's doing for the day, what he's shopping for for the day. So let's say that he buys uh, several things that raise suspicion. He's never bought a hammer before. He's never bought a knife before. He buys a hunting knife or a knife that is of significance. He buys a bag big enough to fit a body in. Um, when he does these kind of things, it can be an algorithm that... Uh, is alerted in the system, not necessarily people having to monitor it, but anybody that would meet a certain algorithm would then show up in the system as an alert. And then all the authorities would have to do is watch the alert, see that there is suspicious behavior taking place with this individual, and then they can begin to immediately monitor him using facial facial recognition software throughout the city. They can automatically see, using the cameras throughout the city, throughout the bus routes, throughout the subway system, is his eyes dilated? Does he look nervous? Is he trying to hide away from people? And then uh, that would be suspicion enough to monitor John. That's exactly what's taking place. Uh, Minister Lee said that crime prediction will become an important use for AI technology in the Chinese government sphere. Predicting crime, he says, will be an important function of the government. If we use... Uh, intelligent systems and intelligent facilities to know in advance who might be a terrorist, who might be guilty of a crime. It will make the police case more efficient. Society becomes more, in his words, quote-unquote, harmonious. Earlier this month, Beijing announced 
to have a $59 billion artificial intelligence industry by 2025 that would incorporate crime prediction. (laughs) Now let's take it a step further. Because not only would crime prediction apply to terrorists and people that might actually do a, a real crime, but now they would be able to predict who is becoming a Christian, who's becoming involved in church activity. For instance, if somebody worked for a job for a very long time, they were involved in the service industry, and now out of nowhere, they begin to stop spending money at the movies, stop spending money at nightclubs, stop spending money on booze and alcohol and cigarettes and women at hotels. But instead, they start to get a completely different algorithm that involves buying books for people, uh, helping people with their travel on Sunday mornings. All of a sudden, now, that might meet a certain algorithm that the Chinese government could easily put into the system to monitor the activities of Christians. This sounds so crazy that as I was going through some of the research for today's podcast, I was thinking, no, no, it's not. I mean, this sounds outrageous. But right now, as India has pushed for a cashless system, which, by the way, was an absolute nightmare, it was Armageddon. It took place last November, and now the system is – cash is back into the system, small cash. But it is so tightly controlled that a lot of NGOs have pulled out. I know, for instance, Livets Ord, an organization that we've worked with in Sweden, which is one of the largest megachurches in Scandinavia. Uh, I was sitting with their missions director, riding with him in a cab in Iraq. He had just come from India, and I was asking him how things were going in India. This was at the beginning of this year. 2017, he told me that they've been working in India for many years. They just had to pull out. They can no longer provide funding for their work in India. In many ways, that's exactly what the government wanted. They wanted to hinder the operations of Christians taking place in the country because there are so many people coming to Christ in India on a regular basis. They don't want to see what's happening in China happen to them. Now China is starting to put in cashless uh, operations inside their own country where people are getting very, very comfortable. I'm getting comfortable with it. Cash is becoming less and less of my daily life. However, I mean, I do work in cash when it comes to projects. So for instance, Bible printing, mission support, schools that we are supporting, those are supported by cash. We have no other way of supporting those because any bank transfers um, would be obviously monitored by the government and would be able to identify the exact projects of what we're doing. I can't really go into detail with it, but we have gotten kicked out now of two different banks. I can't tell you what country those banks are in. I can't tell you that many details, but from the out, literally this month, July 2017, we got a letter telling us that the bank that we've been banking at for many years 
can no longer give us banking services. They cut. They they stopped our credit cards. We have we have a premier account, uh, one of the top tier accounts because of the uh, amount of funding that is going through our accounts uh, that we use for ministry. Um, and we've been faithful customers for years. Our credit cards actually had a balance, meaning that they owed us money. Uh, usually, our accounting department tries to keep a balance going on, so they they weren't necessarily making money with with our accounts, but they told us because of the suspicious activity taking place with our banking account, they could no longer provide us with banking services. Because of that, there are several banks that are on edge, and this is the second bank to actually do that. We had one bank that was our main bank for doing the distribution of funds for a lot of the projects that we were doing that had to end up uh, closing our account and making us go to another bank. This was a large international bank that stopped handling our accounts because we fell in a certain algorithm that looks like money laundering. It looks like we're involved in some sort of terrorist operation. Obviously, we're not. We're just doing Christian activities in nations where Christian activities are illegal. And because of that, they there and there's been a lot of pressure on the banks after 9/11 that took place in the U.S. A lot of these algorithms have been put in place at banks so that they can monitor. They don't have to monitor every single account, just accounts that meet a certain algorithm, meaning that they have suspicious activities. And there may only be a, less than one percent of activities of certain customers within a bank that that operate the way that we do, and because there's only 1%. Once you meet that algorithm, then what the bank is able to do is go into those that are in that algorithm and then divide them up to see if there's any suspicious activity, any individuals that look like they could fall within a terrorist type of group. We fall in that category just because of the way that we operate behind enemy lines, because of the way that we operate in the shadows, in closed nations, nations that are closed off to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now in China, what they are trying to do is push people more into a cashless society where that you have to rely on credit cards, um, your phone, or some sort of recognition, uh, personal recognition device that will track your purchases, your purchase behavior, um, your income. All of that stuff can then be stored into a database where a person doesn't even have to meet you and they can know exactly who you are. They can tell whether you're conservative or liberal. They can tell whether you're uh, wealthy or middle class. They can tell whether you're Christian or not Christian. This is ideal for the enemy to begin to put the pressure on believers. There's very few nations around the world today that are sympathetic when it comes to the operations of missionaries. In the West before, if you said that you were a missionary working in a certain country, that was considered to be a good thing. You were a good person doing that kind of work. Now, you are viewed with a lot more suspicion. Not just suspicion, but in many ways, a little bit of detestable, they're almost you're like you're a detestable person for 
you know, quote unquote, pushing your religion onto someone else. You're not seen as a freedom fighter. You're not you're not seen as a person who is sacrificing for the least end of the, those that are living in poverty, those that are suffering uh, in persecution, those that are the least among us that are serving time in prison simply because of their beliefs. Instead, you're viewed with suspicion and in a country like China, you can be viewed as a criminal, a criminal that if you had a certain behavior, they could predict your crime. Where does that – can you imagine that you just make a few odd purchases in a short amount of time for whatever reason? Let's say that you're preparing for a play. You are um, possibly doing some sort of project in your own home. But you make a few odd purchases that just so happen to fit in an algorithm. And you can be charged with a crime before you even commit it. Just as we've seen in the movie Minority Report. Crazy. Sounds too crazy to be true. But I do not think that China would be spending $59 billion on a fantasy that they do not plan to implement. And according to uh, recent articles, China released a national artificial intelligence development plan last Thursday aiming to grow the country's core artificial intelligence industries to over 150 billion yuan, which is about 22 billion U.S. dollars by 2020, and 400 billion yuan, which is 59 billion U.S. dollars by 2025, and that comes straight from the Chinese State Council. So if you look at the Chinese top executives from the Chinese web services giant of Baidu, they call for Beijing to seize historic opportunity and to lead global AI development and to become the nation that is the first to employ crime prevention by predicting it. Will it happen? The investment's there. The money says yes. We shall see. I will stay on top of this story. I will tell you if anything develops. I think that we're probably the first ministry to report about this in any shape, form, or fashion when it comes to China. So let's stay on top of this. Watch and see what develops, and I will keep you updated. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, at least to know how to pray for the Chinese. Thank you, and God bless.